Hello, and welcome to the BS with Friends podcast, a subsidiary of the Bader and Simon Gallery, scheduled to open in Cincinnati, Ohio in 2024. I'm your host, Tamara White, founder and board president of Bader and Simon. In this podcast, we will discuss art, social justice, and well, basic BS with friends. Our approach is a bit lighter and irreverent and is a warning for those with young ones nearby. There is a chance that colorful language will be used from time to time. The format will include five questions for our guests that are a bit more serious, and each interview will end with the same five fun questions. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the episode. Today, I would like to welcome Dr. Anu Mitra. Dr. Mitra is faculty at Union Institute and University located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Her focus is on museum studies and design thinking. Dr. Mitra has taught at numerous universities, including Yale. She has won numerous teaching and research awards and is a Fulbright specialist. She serves on the boards for the Cincinnati Art Museum, the National Advisory Board of the National Museum for Women in the Arts, the Social Justice Institute for Union Institute and University, and she's a board member for Bader and Simon. Anu is the proud parent, along with her husband, of three adult children. In her spare time, she loves to wander museums, read memoirs, watch films, and travel wherever the road will take her. So welcome. Thank you. So my first question for you is, what is your immigrant story? I know you came to the U.S. to study literature. So tell us about that experience of coming here and how that brought you to Cincinnati. Wow, that's a long story that could take forever. (laughs) But in the interest of time, I'll say that I came to the U.S., to Rochester, New York, through New York City, of course, when I was just 22 years old. I was really, really naive, clueless is a better word as well, and really didn't know too much about anything. I was good at academics, but not much else. And, uh, you know, I got a full scholarship to the University of Rochester to study literature and women's studies. And that's how I came. But more importantly, I have to say that I grew up in a very, very traditional Bengali family in Kolkata, India. And my family was extremely mixed up in the sense that part of their psyche was very progressive. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi and other luminaries in Indian politics have stayed in our home. And we have lots and lots of photographs lining the walls of our home. But at the same time, even though the streak of progressive, radical action was very much part of their psyche, They were also extreme traditionalists, very, very conservative. So I would say the primary reason for me coming to this country, even though I had never crossed a street on my own prior to coming here, the primary reason was to escape the very, very deeply patriarchal hierarchies that were established, that were very well established in Indian society and especially in Bengali society. So I would say that I was trying to get away from that. And uh, when I went to my mother and said that I need to get away, I need some air, I need to breathe, she said, hey, that's great that you want to breathe, but you should do it on your own. If you can find a way to do it on your own, you're home free. So that's what I did. 
that view that your mother had, it's not the traditional view that I would imagine most mothers in her circumstance might take to Uh, tell you to venture out on your own. Exactly. But I think she was also setting a very high bar for me. She never in her wildest dreams thought that I could attain it. And so it was almost a challenge for me. And you know how I am with challenges. If anyone challenges me to do something, I will most likely try my hardest to do it. And it was miraculous that things just fell into place for me. I mean, all sorts of people from different places just came forward to help me get from there to here. And so that's how I came as a single person, 22 years old, fresh out of college, extremely protected. And here in New York City, you know, and then to Rochester, New York, so different from what I had ever imagined my life to be. That's incredible. Yeah. And so the streak that you have that, I don't want to say ornery, I'll say determined. (laughs) That determined streak has been with you a long time. I think so. I think so. It's part of my nature. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you transfer your scholarship from literature to a focus that seems to be more primarily on art and museum studies? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, again, this is a history of me trying to figure out the value of education. What is education worth? Is it something that you keep in your head, that you do research, research for, research about, and then, you know, lock it up in different articles and specialized books that only a very few people read? Is that what education is all about? Or is it about a much more engaged, very active kind of making change in society? Because that, to me, is awareness at its best. And I always felt that the latter was true. So when I went to the University of Rochester, I really, really wanted to study contemporary literature. I truly wanted to study art, but it was very difficult to get a scholarship in the art department as a scholar and not as a practicing artist. And so I went to literature, and I was not able to find any... uh, any sort of encouragement there. And so I was shifted, you know, sort of, you know, sidelined into studying Renaissance literature, 17th century literature, 16th and 17th century British literature, which had no resonance for me. I was very interested, but in the end, it did not excite me. So I had that at the back of my mind. The whole thing came to a head when we were, when we moved to China, when we moved to mainland China in 1997, we were there for three years. And what was the reason for going to China? So my husband worked for Pratt & Gamble for most of his uh, life, and he was moved to China on assignment. When I went there, of course, I had to teach, and I got myself a job at Sichuan University, and somehow I was able to con- convince them that having daily or even weekly classes was completely non-progressive, that students, especially uh, master's level students, get a lot more if they are immersed in a very concentrated type of learning situation. And so we agreed that I would go once a month for a weekend, and that's how I was able to teach there. And when I was teaching Chinese students literature, it was a nightmare. Uh, They did not get the punchlines. They did not get (laughs) comedy. It was a very literal kind of understanding of what was going on. There was literally no no appreciation 
for nuance and for insinuation and connotation and so on and so forth. So at that time, I had, like I said, I've always been interested in art, in art. At that time, I sort of sidestepped a little bit and started to talk about concepts through art. And that was extremely successful as an idea, as a teaching tool, as a pedagogical tool. So when I returned to the United States in 2001, I straight away went to the art museum and became a docent. It was a very rigorous 18-month program, and we had to give public lectures in order to pass the program. This was at the Cincinnati Art Museum. Cincinnati Art Museum. And simultaneously, because they were not strong in contemporary art at that time, when I went through the docent program, I also signed up to become a docent at the Contemporary Art Center, also in Cincinnati. And so I got this complete education. And of course, I've published in the field, I've presented numerous times. And I want to say that I know a little bit more about art than I did 20 years ago. And I feel quite ready and prepared to talk about ideas and concepts. So that's how I shifted from, you know, from sidestepping from literature to completely immersing myself in art as, as the time went on. And you've sort of never looked back. I mean, I've it's, it's really been focused on art. Yes, I, I love the written work. I love reading and writing, and I especially love memoirs to try and see how people have uh, made sense of their lives. But I'm very comfortable teaching art and teaching about ideas through different through different methodologies, yeah. different modalities. So you mentioned the Cincinnati Art Museum. So in December of this past year, you and your husband were involved in opening, you are the reason for the opening of the Anu and Shekhar Mitra Gallery that features the reinstallation of the museum's South Asia collection. So how did this process evolve for you? And how did you come to this decision versus leaving all your money to your youngest child, for instance? Of course, why not? <laughs> yes, I have robbed them of their inheritance. I have to <laughs> yes. So it came about really intuitively. As I said, I was on the acquisitions committee. I still am. I was the head of the acquisitions committee for a while and on the executive committee and on the board, of course. And through these various committee work, I really got to know the collection well. from different viewpoints than you would if you were a docent. As a docent, you master content and you master ways, strategies of delivering the content to very different publics. But as a trustee, you get a whole different education. I felt that the South Asian galleries at the art museum were were quite routinely sort of, you know, unvisited. They were just not recognized by the general public. And given the climate of great misunderstanding among different groups of people in the United States, you know, a lot of uh, stereotypes and misconceptions flowing, you know, sort of existing in in the atmosphere out there because our recent political history here in the United States, I felt very strongly, my husband and I felt very strongly that we ought to do something that would bring more attention to South Asia. You know, that was at the helm of culture and society and civilizations at one point in time. 
And so it was done as a way of fostering understanding between cultures to show that somehow at the end of it, we're all the same rather than different. And to have all kinds of people, irrespective of religious beliefs and so on and so forth, come together around similar things. So that was one of the main reasons for us doing it. And in any case, uh, because I love the museum as much as I do, we would have left some money for the museum after we died. And I just told my husband, I told Shekhar, that it would be much more interesting to dress up and go to a party and to have it done while we were still alive. So that was the impetus. Yeah. yeah. And all joking aside, I do think your kids are very proud of this. And I know it's only been since December, but does it does it seem as if it's been well received in Cincinnati and that people are enthusiastic about this? Absolutely. The gallery opened to the public the week before Christmas, and we were not there. We were away in India during that time. There was record attendance. It was absolutely filled. And there were different dance groups and different cultural experiences that were being offered at the museum. And people sent us photographs. You know, it was absolutely packed to the limit. They had to turn people away. So obviously this, there's a hunger to know about cultures that are different from yours. You know, with India uh, sort of expected to take the helm in, you know, in being the most, um, let's say, in being the next superpower after the United States. It makes sense to get to know that part of the world and to develop relationships, even from a strategic, you know, practical view. So, you know, there were lots and lots of different people. So many people wrote to us and said, hey, we, we heard about this. We're so amazed. And they're encouraged to come to the museum themselves and to contribute and to really get to become part of the museum community. That's great. That's incredible. So to follow up on that, I'm curious what your experience is as a highly educated, activist-oriented Indian woman living in Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati because it's become my home. We've developed a group of amazing friends and colleagues from all different walks of life over the last, what, 35 years that we've lived there. And I really appreciate what what the city has done for us as a family because this was an extension of our family. You know, since we don't have blood family in the in the United States, this was it. Uh, but having said that, I think uh, in Cincinnati, you have to go searching for like-minded people, such as ourselves, people who are really interested in making change, who feel for different marginalized groups, who feel for the underdog. I think you have to really stretch to go look for them. Overall, the vibe of the city is still conservative. You know, it's it's a vibe that's different from the one that I have. So it, it's been a little un- uncomfortable in spots, but, you know, it's not unbearable. Got it. Yeah. So one thing that I failed to mention when I introduced you is that you were my dissertation chair. And I received my doctorate from Union Institute and University, as did other members that are on the Bader and Simon board. And I don't believe that this mu- this gallery would exist without you because you've inspired me, you've inspired several others 
And I feel like I'm going to get teary-eyed as I'm like saying this. But it was through this leadership and you inspiring that has sort of brought a lot of us to where we are today. And so I guess I want to ask why this role as a board member, as the work that you're doing with Bader and Simon, like, why is that important to you? And how do you think that will impact the community as, um, you know, as the physical space of the gallery will be opening in a year from now, and then we'll be doing this online programming. But just why is this important to you and to the community? You know, Tammy, you make me curious. I mean, <laughs> I really don't know the kind of impact I have. I feel that I'm just going about doing my work and I'm just so extremely humbled and gratified that that I've touched you and touched a few others, hopefully. You know, like I said, I've always lived in, not always, I I grew up in a city that was extremely polarized. There were very rich sections of the city and extremely poverty-stricken parts of the city. And I saw both. When my father died, I was six years old. So my mother was a single woman, a working woman with a very large family to support. And so I never saw her. And that was fine. I I got to understand her role several years later. But a dear, dear aunt of mine raised me. And she was eccentric and ornery (laughs) and kind and loving and crazy. She sounds like somebody I know. (laughs) And she did for everyone without limit. I don't think I'm like her because um, I could never be like her, but but she really influenced me. And so look at me, I'm getting all teary. <laughs> so this whole uh, aspect of living fully, of this, uh, of us not having a second chance, this is it, right? So why not give it your all? And just to see you blossom, Tammy, through the program, and to develop, and now you have, you're going to have a book soon, and all the successes that you've experienced, this is amazing. So that is my gift to myself, to see you flourish, to see you bring this arts organization into being, and to have that arts organization touch so many lives, lives that we cannot even imagine. So, yeah, that's what's important to me, just to see the ripple effects of our small daily actions. And it's such a back and forth. You say it's a gift to you, but it's a gift to us. And so it's kind of a love fest. It's a love fest. It's a love fest. Yeah. Okay. So now we get to go to the fun and sassy questions. Okay. Your dream dinner guests, dead or alive. It can be small. It can be big. Who are your dream dinner guests? Yes. Very attracted to saints, and all kinds of eccentric people who have been martyred, who have died for a greater cause. Like, you know, Susanna and Agnes, and you know, one of them had her breast cut off. There are lots of paintings about her in medieval and Renaissance art. Gentileschi. I mean, people who've suffered inordinately for no fault of their own. What they have done to redeem that fault in their stars, let's put it that way. I'm very interested in that kind of transformation. So I would say that these would be my dinners. People who come to the table with all kinds of histories and uh, biographies and who have suffered a lot, but made something greater from their suffering. Wow. Okay. 
Um, what song is the soundtrack of your life? I think The Shape of Me by Ed Sheeran. The Shape of You? The Shape of Me, I think. I don't think I would have expected that answer. Really? Yeah. I love that song. Okay. Because it's it's so open-ended. You can make of it what you want. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Flat or sparkling? Sparkling. What social justice cause is most meaningful to you at this moment? Cruelty to children and to dogs. Animals generally, but dogs especially. Yeah. And who is your least favorite Supreme Court justice? Without a doubt, that Kavanaugh guy. You and me both. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. This so has much, been enlightening and great. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, you made me cry at the end of it. Well, you made me cry. Oh my gosh. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to reach out and let us know your preference for flat or sparkling or anything else you'd like to share, you can find us on Instagram at Bader and Simon Gallery or on our website, baderandsimon.com, where you will find information about current exhibitions and programming. Until next time, have a fabulously artistic day.